This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. News, media, images, sounds. I don't have to tell you, they're, they're kind of all around, and either you've given up on paying any attention to them, or they are so all-consuming in you, this is the one hour that you have decided to give up for your Lenten fast news media. Uh, and if this is your Lenten fast from news media, praise God. Welcome to it. But here we are gathered in a theater, situated to realize that we are kind of in a, in a center of all the things that are media. And moving forward. Now, a couple interesting things I just want to set for us. Did you know that in 1946, less than 1% of homes in the United States had a television? Less than 1% in 1946 had a television. Now, if you move forward, by 1954, 50% uh, of families, that quickly. So in less than 10 years, you're at 50%. Uh, by 1962, over 90% of families had a television. And we never looked back, right? Now, some of you are like, well, that room, that room, oddly two in that room. Now, think about another thing. Think about the size of the screen. In 1998, the average screen size was 23 inches. Uh, in 2018, the average screen size, 47 inches. So not only is it in your house, it's in your house, and it's, and it's big. Now, you don't have to tell me someone's like, I have a projection screen. I, I, I will leave that to you. I bring these things up because the shows get bigger and better and they get louder and they're more in your face. And what I want to share with you in the scriptures today is the bigger, louder is not new. You just know of it as a television screen. You can kind of get that, that it's grown, that we have more of it. What I hope you can see this morning is we're going to step into the scriptures is to realize this journey of wanting more uh, and wanting to get there is not limited just to movie screens. It's not limited just to television screens. Uh, we sometimes want bigger and better ourselves. Uh, so to do that, if you'll turn with me, go to Exodus uh, 17. So we're going to start there in Exodus 17. And as you're turning, some of you may know that a few weeks ago, one of the auditoriums here uh, is converting to not just be a big screen, not 3D, but the latest and greatest is what? Yeah, moving seats. So that's right. We'll now have moving seats. Someone like leaned forward in their seat now and said, I've already got a moving seat. I've got it. But as we go ahead, uh, what we're going to do is take a look. This is Exodus 17, uh, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. All right, so we're moving from TV screens now into kind of a real-life family drama. If you've ever been on a journey and ever traveled, you've heard those greatest of questions, right? The great question is, are we there Yet. Now imagine taking an entire nation on a journey, and then as you get here, the whole congregation is moving on. They've all got questions. They're camped at Rephidim, and there's no water. Can you imagine being somewhere where there's no water? So you're traveling, and you're in charge. You're Moses. You're set there, and everybody's got the question. There's no water, and now we're in a predicament. So with no water to drink, the situation deteriorates very quickly. Uh, the text takes us to verse 2 and 3, uh, people where this larger-than-life story is developing before us. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? 
See, so it's not just a simple, are we there yet? Their questions are, maybe Egypt was better. Now, those of you who recall what happened a few verses and chapters before, that people were screaming to get out of Egypt. Screaming. And now they're asking, why are we here? Think about the last seven days of your life, what you were thinking last Sunday and what you were thinking now. See, this text a few weeks ago, and I'm like, oh, what would it be like for people to grumble? See, anybody sitting in a seat here, you get, like, there's, there's a thing going on in our lives where very quickly we can start to grumble. Anyone ever question an authority? I mean, boy, there's just so many things as we're all trying to balance the right thing. But I think Exodus 17, it's easier to step into the text because you're going, I get how you could grumble. I get how you could be upset. There are a hundred plus different reasons, and I mean plus, of all the different challenges that you in this room alone are facing, not to mention your family and others. But as we look at the text, what you get is the people are exhausted. Now remember, in Exodus 12, just five verses before, we had heard that the people that went out is a mixed multitude. Exodus 12, 28 said that this group that went out, it's not just the Israelites, others went with them, others who followed. So remember, many people were excited to see this exodus, they, and they said, let's go. But now, just five chapters later, it's, we're not so sure the exodus was a good idea. We're all on the bandwagon until we're not. We're excited about where it's going, and then we're not. <laughs> so then a great leader does what all great leaders do. So Moses cried to the Lord. He's, he doesn't know where to go. But here's the unique thing, as we've been studying the second commandment. He knows exactly what to do. Pray, praise, give thanks. Moses goes and cries to the Lord. He says, what shall I do with this people? Isn't that great? Not my people. <laughs> See, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the mom or the dad. The, the my people thing is gone. What do I do with this people? Now, we have heard throughout the scriptures when it talks about, I will be your God, you will be my people. Moses very quickly has distanced himself, third party. What do I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Now, I hope you're following this, those of you who are still in, like, cinema world. This is the very same staff that struck the Nile that turned it to blood. So if you're kind of sitting there in movie, like, let's make it impressive, that's a great staff to pick up, because this staff does stuff. I mean, this is the doing staff. You ever go on hiking with someone and like everyone starts picking up like a, a, a walking stick? But if you've ever done this with young kids, someone's stick is cooler than the stick that child has. But no, I wanted that one. That's the one that I want. That is the one. So Moses is picking up the staff. I mean, this is the doing staff. And now that had happened in Exodus 7. So if you want to look later, you can kind of see where that there. So he turned into blood. And the same staff, this is the same one that had also been turned into a serpent. So this is not just the now blood staff. This is the staff that turns into serpents and come back. So if God's going to do something powerful, he's clearly going to do it through the staff. Because, you know, God only, you know, this is kind of his, his object of doing stuff. So when Moses has that in the hand, everybody's thinking, what? We got it. We got the staff. Now, some of you think this is silly. Any, any heat man watchers in here? Okay. Okay, a few of you. Only two willing to admit it. Others know exactly who He-Man is, but you're not going to say it. Well, there was a person called He-Man, and he was a defender of the universe. Yeah, okay. Yes, right. She-Ra, okay. So we're all there. But he had, a, he had a sword. So if he brought out his sword, you were good to go. I'm sharing it with you because the people of Israel, when they see the staff, they're thinking this is the sword that's going to get it all taken care of. 
So keep going with me. We follow verse 6, Exodus 17, 6. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. See, now we're building the movie. Because now we got the staff. It's time to hit the rock. The water will come out, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. So everybody could see it. We could all record the moment. So God, who used Moses as a leader to guide the people, God, who had them set, opens the door to greater things, leads them to the promised land, And then the leader does what? Delivers results. If Moses had an evaluation form at the end of that day, everybody would have given him what? Five stars. That's right. This is an Amazon five-star moment. This was easy. You know, if you can rate me a 10, that'd be great. A nine doesn't look good for my supervisor. So I'm I'm encouraging you just to tens only, please. Well, Moses gets his tens at the end of the day. Here. He gets his tens at the end of Exodus 17's passage. Uh, But as the people move forward, another trial finds itself there. So if you want to jump ahead, go to Numbers chapter 20. Because this isn't the only encounter that people have with grumbling. And our memory of God's preservation is very, very, whether we like to admit it, we got a short-term memory issue, and the problem with God's people is we also have a what? And we got a long-term memory problem too. We forget what God did yesterday. We forget that we actually lived through yesterday. We're living today. And we forgot that God actually brought the people into the promised land. That God was there in the ark. That God cared for Abraham. That God created a nation. That God has delivered his people through persecution. That Christ came. We just forget all these things. Well, here's the people. Once again, they're struggling. They're struggling with water. And now the problem isn't just their leaders. So now we get Numbers 20. The problem goes from the people to now a leader problem. Here's the transition. Before it was the people all grumbling. Moses had turned to the Lord. But now listen to what happens in Numbers 20, verse 8. Take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, and tell the rock. If you could, like, visually highlight that, tell the rock. And tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Tell the rock. Tell the rock. That's what Moses is told. So we sit here in front of a big screen. How many of you remember uh, watching that most recent film about P.T. Barnum? You guys remember that? I know a couple of you can say it. The greatest showman. And in this very moment, Moses turns into what? Yeah, Moses turns into P.T. Barnum. He turns into the greatest showman. He was told, tell the rock. But Moses has what? He's got the staff. You guys recall, this is, this is Nile staff. This is serpent staff. This is rock of Horeb staff. This is the one that does everything. So telling the rock sounds great, but it doesn't play well on the... Yeah, and you guys all got at least average 47-inch screen at home, so when we do make this for home movies, we're going to need to make sure that it's... Uh, tell the rock, I mean, that's great if you have surround sound, but some of you may still not. So Moses decided to help you out. What he's going to do is he's actually not going to tell the rock. He's going to what? He's going to strike the rock. And he moves forward and strikes that very rock. So Numbers 20, you get Moses and Aaron, and they're there trying, they're recalling rock at Horeb. See, they've got their memory of the way God did it last time. Just because God did it that exact way, he might do it differently. You just have to do what? When God does something differently, you need to, you got to listen. Don't presume of God. God has promised to be with his people. We gather in Lent. We speak of God who's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that God is there for us, even in this very season where we are. But even Moses, in a season where he should have stood firm and cried to the Lord again, as the Lord gave him clear directions, maybe he could have asked some, remind me, is this exactly what you want? Instead, he goes, I've got this, because I've got the, I've got the staff. I've got it all figured out. 
We continue, verse 10 and 11, still in Numbers 20. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. You get this, man? P.T. Barnum. Gather the assembly. Get them all ready. They gathered the assembly and said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water out for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff, not once, but twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. Interesting things to recall. While Moses doesn't listen, what does God actually do? He still cares for his people. See, God still hears the need of the people and is still there. Moses will indeed not be able to go into the promised land because of his wandering from God's clear instruction to tell the rock rather than to strike. Uh, many people forget it's not, it's not Moses killing the Egyptian earlier on in life that actually gets him into trouble to not go to the promised land. It's him not listening to God's word. But even when Moses didn't listen, God still took care of his people. God still looked out for those who Moses described as, you rebels. Those are the words of someone who got ahead of what God was doing. Moses made it, unfortunately, more about Moses than he did about God. He shifted the focus. And the sin moved the focus from what might God do in the midst of this to, I'm the guy with the staff. I've got Aaron. I've got the guy who holds up my arms. And together, if you've got Moses and Aaron, then you can't go wrong. Well, if you've read enough of the Old Testament, you realize there are very few people in the Old Testament, God himself, that are really never going to wander. David, Solomon, I mean, so many others, even Elijah. Even Elijah will at one point say, Lord, just take my life. Even though God had just used him to deliver just a few verses before defeating the prophets of Baal. God alone is our rock. But water is so central. It's so central to our lives. It is central to us now. If you have been to any grocery store recently, you would think that the viral infection was in water. Because there is something in us. You see, parts of our brain are turning that we're not even aware of. It's the part of just, I've, I've got to take care of. I mean, fright and flight, it's happening. It's happening right now in our midst. Uh, and someone's going to get out of their little one-hour uh, break from the media, and the moment the service ends at the benediction, you'll do what? Come on. You're going to turn on your phone, and you're going to go looking. Someone just put their phone away feeling guilt like, oh, no, I was looking. God's got things to speak to us and say, I've got you in the midst of the storm. Now, as the text continues, as it moves ahead, we're going to jump from where we were in Exodus 17, and I want to take you to another water text. It's the woman at Sychar. It's the woman at the well. You see, this is a very powerful uh, connection that hits in the lectionary and the readings for this very day that talk about God caring for his people even when they don't know what's happening. So the woman who gathers at the well has Jesus coming in. She's there because she's a Samaritan. Now, some of you are like, what in the world is a Samaritan? Uh, Samaritans are the descendants of the northern kingdom of Israel who ended up not going and being deported, uh, and they actually intermarried with others. So now you've got kind of this mixed blood relationship uh, that the Israelites aren't real happy with. They're not contented with. So she doesn't want to interface with Jews at all. So to get water, she does it during the hottest time of the day. And as she gathers there, she is waiting to deal with this very human reality, which is called parching our or quenching our thirst. So a parched palate that just needs some water. And Jesus is gathered there. So into John 4 we go. So if you want to propel to that text, we're going to take a look as she asks Jesus, 
about some water. And Jesus says, hey, you know, I'd, I'd kind of like to have some water. And she's got questions about whether or not Jesus should be asking. And he says, he answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Ever the realist, the woman at the well sits there with Jesus and goes, first off, you shouldn't be asking me because you're a Jew. Second off, no one gets water without actually having a bucket. Anyone, dear Liza, dear Liza, there's a hole in your bucket. They're sitting there, there's not a hole in your bucket, dear Liza. There's no bucket. So you're asking the question of getting water, and she's just kind of dealing with the reality of, first off, you shouldn't be talking to me. Second off, you've got nothing to do with it. But living water, she's intrigued. She's intrigued that there's something that she doesn't know about. But what she's standing on to begin with is not this living water. She's going, this is Jacob's well. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, this is the God that's delivered us. This is the God who's cared for us. This is the God who's been there through and through. So if you're here at Jacob's well, do you know how powerful this well is? But living water, she wants to know a little bit more. But as we look this morning, the rock at Horeb in Exodus 17 is not the story. The rock in Numbers 20 is not the story. Those were all the stories that pointed to the real story of God's desire to be with his people. God's desire to provide for them when trials and temptations surround them. Whether it be Horeb, whether it be Exodus 17, whether it be Numbers 20, or right here at the well of Sychar, God actually says, I'm here to address your question, the one you're asking. The two Old Testament stories were, we're thirsty. But now you've got a woman who's going, I'm thirsty, but I'm intrigued. Because you're offering something no one no one else has ever offered to me. So from the big screen, the idea of tapping rocks once, twice, water abundantly flowing, it is interesting, the most powerful image this morning is the one that doesn't play out that well on the big screen. Because the most powerful is Jesus says, I can offer you to living water. You want to make a scene that plays well on this screen, water shooting out of a rock that's being tapped, you can make that. You can, you can almost hear in your mind's ears and eyes and vision of all this thing of the orchestration that would go with it right you can hear the staff the resound you can hear the speakers and what they do here and they've been if you were in theater 12 in a few months your seat would move but god's greatest power is not in tapping rocks or speaking to rocks it's an offering living water in a way that you can't always even see the woman goes where's that water where do i get that she actually asked that very question. She was, are you greater than our father Jacob? She goes, I, I got people I look up to, and Jacob's kind of, he's up there. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water I will give will become a spring of well welling up to eternal life. You see, the unique thing about the woman still gathered at the well, she's very much focused on what she knows, focused on her. It's still about what? I draw water, I drink water, I quench thirst. I do these things. She still has yet to understand God's doing a bigger thing than she could even get in her mind, that God's working a greater gift. Well, the text takes us there, and she says what? Well, sir, give me the water. See, now, sh now she's moving in that direction. Give me that water, but what's she worried so that I may not be thirsty or have to come draw water. So what's she after? 
Yeah, faucet, you bet, man. She wants a faucet. No more working. None of you have grown up in a world, maybe some of you, I, I don't know all of, all of your experiences, but I'm going, to, I'm going to presume most of you did not grow up in a setting where you actually had to carry every single drop of water you were going to use a great distance. There are large portions of the world where people are still gathering their water and walking one, two, three, four miles with all their drinking water on their shoulder from a well. This is very much a reality in most of the world. You all just believe that, golly, they're renovating my downstairs bathroom. I have to go upstairs to shower. And, and this, this is troubling to us. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I'll be thirsty, and I won't have to come draw. She wants what? Permanent water. She wants her own staff. <laughs> she wants a jar that never goes empty. Well, in the conversation that follows, Jesus actually speaks and then reminds her and says, you're focused on the wrong thing. You don't understand that what's actually coming to you today is so much bigger. She says these words, she says, I know Messiah is coming. And Jesus starts to transition her to understand that God's unlocking something bigger in her life. I know Messiah is coming who's called Christ, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. She's excited for the thing that's to come. She's excited that someday she's going to get all the answers. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. In the midst of the crisis that we are facing, in the midst of the challenge, God comes to you and offers a gift greater than any news broadcaster, governor, or president could ever offer to you. It is the gift of eternal life that is certain in Christ's name alone. We are being pulled in so many different directions. May you experience the peace that God alone can give to recenter our hearts and our minds in a God who speaks to the world and the world changes. A God who spoke to you and to me, who cleansed us in the waters of baptism and said, you are mine. May we rest in that mercy this day. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 9.30 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.